Yes, hello and welcome to The Vulture's Nest on 2SER 107.3 where we pick over the carrion of this week's cultural carry-on. Two two episodes ago, we talked about the weird phenomenon of women marrying themselves and this week we're going to look at the far more horrifying concept of promise ceremonies where fathers bind their daughters into virginity promises, often at really young ages. But first, when it comes to pop culture, can you ever go home again? Andrew Purple recently read an article about rewatching Empire Records, which turns 20 this year, where the author found it cruelly, cruelly disappointing. Does the same hold true for all pop culture? Andrew, when did you realise the magic had gone? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Nick. So this week, the good people at Junkie.com reminded us all of a very important anniversary. 2015 is the 20th anniversary of the indie music beautiful people film Empire Records. And just a quick recap, if you weren't a regular cinema goer in 1995, Empire Records is an extended video clip of a story about a bunch of cool misfits fighting to save their workplace, happens to be a record store in the name of hip musical integrity. It stars a pre-Lord of the Rings Liv Tyler, a pre-Bridget Jones Diary Renee Zellweger, and a pre-Lantana Anthony LaPaglia. I'll give you all a sec to do a double take because you didn't realise Anthony Lepalia was in it. He was Joe. <laughs> I totally did. I, I loved him in it. <laughs> now, Sinead Stubbins from Junkie has challenged us with not only the 20th anniversary of Empire Records, but also with the fact that re-watching it today challenges you with the reality that it just does not make sense. <laughs> From plot inconsistencies overlooked to teen drug abuse and suicide being swept under the rug, apparently Empire Records just doesn't cut the 2015 mustard. Which got me thinking, if we all thought it was pretty cool back then, can we ever go home? Can we ever revisit iconic moments in pop culture, in our own personal histories, without cringing and surreptitiously sidestepping away from our own involvement? The 80s feel like a perfect example of this phenomenon. So often is the decade of shoulder pads and good greed mined for comedy fodder that I wonder if anyone actually remembers it or is it just the collective imagining of an Adam Sandler film? So are fans of Miley Cyrus already cringing at reruns of Wholesome Hannah Montana? Does Michael Bay's confusing explosion fest of a career mean we have to reject a childhood of fairly PG-rated transforming robot adventures? Or is this simply what happens as we age? See, Gen X and Gen Y are notorious for holding on to their youth as 30 becomes 20, 40 becomes 30. I'm not even sure what 50 is now. <laughs> Has Empire Records confronted us with the fact that we aren't the same anymore, that we want to deal with our substance abuse problems and are sometimes just too tired to turn the walking day into a dance montage? Cultural anniversaries are a regular occurrence these days. As shrewd marketers try to sell us both the box set and the vintage tea. Nirvana smells like teen spirit is almost 25, and although Dave Grohl is holding up, uh, I'm betting that a lot of the kids trashing the gym in that film clip now look a lot more like the janitor pushing the broom. <laughs> so with the Spice Girls brand of girl power about to turn 20, and the final instalment of the forgettable Star Wars reboot turning 10, can we look back fondly, or are we doomed to scratch our heads in puzzlement? Nick, what do you, what do you reckon? Mm-hmm. Uh, look, you've actually hurt me deeply with this. (laughs) I'm turning 41 next month and I'm freaking out about it and all of those things I can't believe are that old. (sighs) Jen? When you said the Spice Girls thing was almost 20, that kind of freaked me out big time. I think it's weirder for my generation, you know, 25, 30 and up because... Well, for starters, when you're younger, I don't think things have that much of a longevity anyway. Like, you know, the Miley Cyrus thing, I think that's weirder for us to deal with than for younger people because they're like, Hannah Montana happened forever ago. And it's like they're 
attention span is so short and things are changing so quickly and what's interesting is so quick. I don't know if those massive cult films and things have the same effect. Like I remember everyone talking about Empire Records when I was younger. It was like, have you seen it? Oh my God, it's really cool. And there's like guys and girls and music and everyone was like, you know, amazed by it. But I don't know if, if things will have the same impact. I mean, the market for this sort of anniversary, I mean, yes, I've said it's a very shrewd marketing ploy, but it also relies on us having really connected with the song, the film, the book, the T-shirt, whatever it was. And to revisit it, we, we feel that jar, that jarring. I don't think it's a bad thing that we're necessarily acknowledging that 20 years have passed. I, I think it, it may be a sign that we're, we're just human beings. I guess, why do some things have a lasting kind of uh, touchstone kind of nature and other things don't? Like, thinking about re-watching The X-Files recently, and it stands up, it's amazing, but then they pull their phones out, and for some reason the fact that they've got to flip down the little bit of the phone, pull the aerial out with their teeth, <laughs> that's what jars me out of enjoying it. And it's just so random. Why is that a problem? But why does Monkey stand up? Why is Monkey still one of the greatest things ever made? Well, Monkey, it is. Monkey didn't use technology. Maybe that's it. We've become mm. so tech-savvy that the tech can actually draw us out of the moment. I mean, having that touchstone involves being in the moment, not just experiencing the story. And really, the Empire Records thing, it's all about the story. It's all about the thing that we're now suddenly paying attention to. Like mm-hmm. the fact they have a free concert to raise money? The free, Yeah, the free concert to raise money where they give away stacks of beer. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So I want to I ask, though, is this where reboots come from? Is this reboot, you know, we're going to restart something or we're going to do the prequel, does that come from our desire to, to get that feeling back, but get it back for our generation, not go back in time? I think so. I think it's a way of saying, no, see, we can still relate to it and it's still that warm, fuzzy feeling of when I was younger and things were easier, only now they have iPhones, so it makes sense, how you know. Does, how does that explain Spider-Man, though? Because that <laughs> reboot happened within under a decade of the original film. Yeah, but Toby... You know, he really kind of killed it for a lot of people with that dance sequence. See, everyone hated the dance sequence. I had no problem with it. It didn't really affect me one way or the other. I don't think it was a bad dance sequence. I just don't know if it, it was in the film. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I tried to rewatch my favourite show from my youth. It's called Manimal, and it was just the coolest show of the 80s because he was a guy in a tuxedo who could turn into animals, and that's how he fought crime. Awesome. It's terrible. It's unwatchable. <laughs> And I just loved it. I'd pretend to be him in the playground at school, in primary school. And now I'm watching it. I'm like, this is just awful. Do you think things are aging a lot quicker than they were? Like, I realise, you know, from like you said, you just watched Manimal. It's from the 80s. And now it's it's not great. But that, there's a while in between there. Really? But- <laughs> Don't tell me that. So, I think something- do you think, you know, our interest and stuff, it's just kind of going a bit quicker. I think it's like the difference between fruit board at the fruit market and fruit board at Coles. You know, the stuff at Coles is going to age quicker. It just wasn't as quality. But some stuff ages really kind of well. And I think it's probably important to acknowledge, and I hope I'm not breaking anything to you guys here now, but um, Star Trek, whether you're a Trekkie or not, that's something that aged and rebooted really successfully. And so Leonard Nimoy died. Yeah. Um, and he was, you know, he was really fantastic. And they really well, they incorporated him really well into the reboot to keep this continuity. And it was sort mm. of beautiful. And we didn't have to go back in time to really love what happened. They gave us something new and they, they made that connection. And when, when an actor dies, that's why we feel it. We don't feel their loss. We didn't know this person, but we feel the loss of the stories that they were involved in and the loss of the stories that maybe they were going to create. And that's a nice way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I... This is quite cruel to bring up now, but the Leonard Nimoy death, obviously very sad, Mm. but perhaps 
running onto Facebook and yelling live long and prosper for a man who just died isn't really what the tribute that he might be looking for. <laughs> oh, but he's going to get it. <laughs> but, just, oh, yeah. but just imagine, coming back to Empire Records, imagine trying to pull that cast together now. Uh, look, Renee Zellweger's just going to jar a lot of people back at the store when they turn up for the anniver- the 20th anniversary of the night they saved Empire Records. And it's going to be like, you were sorry. Oh, your face. I know, I know, I know it. Oh, on Facebook... <laughs> Tom? <laughs> oh, oh, that's cruel. I, would it be interesting to see, rather than a reboot, bringing people back together at the ages they are now? I mean, like, I'm trying to think of a show where that would work. I mean, Brady uh, Bunch now, aren't they all I'm not, sure, I'm not sure if he's kidding. They're doing that with Friends, right? Yeah, they try and do that stuff. What? Like with, <laughs> yeah. Are you serious? Uh, they're doing that with Friends, I'm sure. They're, they're bringing the whole cast back together, and I don't know, they're going to, I think they're making a whole movie out of them sitting at Central Perk and, and, talking about the problems that they still have. Oh, that sounds awful. That yeah. sounds absolutely Yeah, awful. sometimes keep it in the memory and let it be great for what it was and don't... I don't know if bringing it back is good sometimes. Mm. Yeah, look, I'm not big on the reboots and, you know, I think people get very attached to their shows. So, yeah, Thundercats rebooted quite well, but that's probably because Michael Bay wasn't involved. It's when we get live action. Because let's be honest, that Ninja Turtles movie was horrifying. Oh, I didn't see it. I, did, I oh, didn't see it. It's really quite terrible. Yeah. I've heard it's a bit scary, but I haven't actually seen it. For but some reason, you... they've put like lips on the turtles so that you can like, get oh, God. the way they speak a little easier. And that's just... Oh, that's not right. That's no, really, really eerie. That's actually. really eerie. <laughs> yeah, turtle lips. Yeah. So, do you think they don't... Sorry, do you think they don't work because the context of when you see them, what you associate with them, you can't get the back. Like, I liked watching Empire Records when I was young with friends, but that's also because we were sitting at my friend's house when we were really young and her parents were away and we were getting drunk on red wine and laughing about how that, you know... If I watched it now, it's a bit different. Like, I think you can't get that feeling back, and even though they try to, maybe that's why. Your mum won't go out, so you can all go around and get drunk on wine. It's like, you know, I've tried, but... You don't need to steal the red wine anymore. I know, and that's half the fun. Okay, and this is probably a question for you, Andrew. Why do books work? Why do books not lose this? Why is it still great yeah. to read the first Harry Potter, even though, you know, it's mm. obviously a kid's book, but why is it still enjoyable? They hold up. Okay, I, I put it to you. I, I come back to my admittedly um, a bit over the top uh, idea of Renee Zellweger meeting the crew from Empire Records <laughs> on the reboot, because actors age and they change, but the memory, the idea, the thing that you created in your head when you read the book is always there. And instead of revisiting this very static thing, and a film, a film is a very static thing. Mm. In the book, you bring your experience to it. So, as a child, you might say, "Read uh, uh, Mark Twain's Huckleberry Finn," and you'll get so much out of it as a childhood adventure. But then, coming back to it, say as an adult, you'll get so much more about the politics of it. Mm. The same with with Austen and many of our, fa- our favourite sort of classic novelists. We bring so much of our own experience to it, and having that little bit of age, having that little bit of experience, only enhances that reading as mm-hmm. opposed to the jarring everything is static and I, I bring nothing to it I'm just a passive viewer yeah it's literally the opposite so it's a fixed idea that yeah. offers yeah no interaction I think that's why reboots get dark and gritty because the person who loved it as a child needs to somehow bring some of their adulthood into the reboot and <laughs> adulthood is, is horrible is... and dark and gritty <laughs> Compared to compared to being, for, well, hopefully for most children, uh, their adulthood will always be a little bit darker and grittier because they had a mm. had a nice, more innocent childhood, and now it's just complicated. You've got to do shopping and then cook <laughs> and tax. 
So uh, they tell me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Look, you've been listening to The Vulture's Nest on 2SCR 107.3. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to The Vulture's Nest on 2SER 107.3. We started the show with a heartfelt look at the ephemerality of pop cultural fandom, but now we're detouring to explore the rather bizarre phenomenon of promise ceremonies. Jen, come on, walk us through this horror show. Well, people always say every little girl dreams of her big day. She gets to get that special ring, wear her beautiful huge white dress and be the centre of attention and, of course, pledge her undying love and submit to the man of her dreams, her dad. All at the mature age of five. Purity balls have been happening all across the US for about 15 years now, which is ridiculous, and they're making their way to our shores. They're created by Randy and Lisa Wilson. They had their five daughters in mind. They said the intention is basically to keep these young and innocent girls young and innocent by controlling pretty much any man that comes into their lives. A father will bring his daughter to the ball, they'll have a candlelit romantic meal, dance, and then say their purity pledge, pledging to keep their daughter pure of mind and body. And thank God, because Lord knows how disgusting seven-year-olds can be. Randy's explanation for why purity balls are needed starts nicely enough. It's, it's okay. He says, you know, women need a strong, loving father. He says, you know, they, women ask these questions naturally. Am I beautiful? Am I worthy of being pursued? And what better way to show that than to spend a lot of money at an overpriced ball? However, his opinions quickly move into a different territory when he starts to say things like, when I hear from young ladies that there's a need for physical touch and they need it from a male being, that's what I believe the male, the fa- sorry, that's what I believe the father role is. Yeah. <laughs> now, I don't think the comment is bordering on creepy. I think it's flown way flipping beyond. And there are other comments made by other fathers who attend these balls that are just equally as disturbing. One man has his daughters refer to him as their boyfriend. When his 10-year-old daughter mentions the pressure from school friends to date, he simply replies, you told them you have your, a boyfriend. It's your dad. Another man says, how cool would it be to say I only kissed but one man in my life? Leaning over his clearly nervous seven-year-old daughter, who I imagine isn't that interested in kissing anything considering she's closer to a toddler than a sexual being. One of the first comments people say when you talk about this is, what about the boys? Why is it just the young girls? Well, don't worry. Now you have the chance to traumatise both your sons and daughters. The Wilson family have created a school of honour for young men to attend. It's hosted by their eldest son. It's a pinch bit different to the whole purity ball thing in that it kind of looks more like a camping trip. It's complete with hunting, eating and just manly conversation. Like most things to do with this family and their idea of purity, it seems to go a bit off the rails when the young men on their final night dress as knights. Now, I can only assume this is so it prepares them <laughs> for a challenge that's going to happen <laughs> with a future suitor so they're prepared for a duel. Now, purity balls are growing at a rapid rate in the US and now they're coming here. And my question is, why? Why, Nick? Why? I, I can't even begin to answer that. I'm <laughs> genuinely horrified. Yeah. And the terminology you say they're using is just, I didn't know that. Yeah. How do you want to be referred to as your own daughter's boyfriend? Yeah. How yeah. is that in any way healthy? It's pretty scary. And and the, the guy was so unapologetic. He's like, you tell them, Dad's your boyfriend. And people challenge it and say, 
that's kind of creepy and wrong. And they say, no, no, you know, it's it's just, just healthy. It it's just, yeah, it's just how it goes. It's what it is. These are a bunch of guys that need their script checked even more than Tony Abbott <laughs> <laughs> before they before they jump out and actually and actually say things. But the thing that I find most troubling about this is that on the surface, if you really start to break it down, it's very hard to pinpoint what that creepy feeling down the back of your neck is. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, okay, they want to protect their daughter. I, you can't really attack that. That, you know, maybe there are bad things that happen out there in the world. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can't really attack that. But it's when you start listening to the language, and expe- especially the exclusive <clears throat> exclusiveness of the language, mm-hmm. where even though boys and girls are involved... We very much divide them on gender basis and <clears throat> we start to expect different things from them. We start to engender them into who they're going to be. So the whole idea of equality goes out the window. Oh. Mm-hmm. Women are beautiful. And all the girls in, in interviews, in the documentary that I watched about this, the girls all talk about being beautiful and the men all talk about how the girls want to be beautiful, but the men have to be manly. And it's just, it's it's really go, going back hundreds of years. Yeah, completely. Oh, it is such a far throwback. It's hard to even understand where it stems from. And I think the creepy feeling and the difference between the, the boys and the, and the girls, and they are boys and girls, they're very, very young, is for the guys, it's like, let's just hang out and have fun. For the girls, it is, it's bringing sexuality to a five-year-old from their father. To then shame it. Yeah. In such... And when you're that young, you really don't know or care. You barely recognise your... You know, you can be a girly girl at five and go, I love dresses and dolls, but people change. And you can be a girly girl who likes girls, you know, and they've got all this pressure. And there's interviews with people who've come out of this. They have no um, sex education at all. None. So, as you can imagine, there's quite a lot of whoops babies that come along where they're forced to marry someone or, you know, they're they're just totally pushed out of their family. And it's insane. I mean, think of what you liked at five. Imagine committing to anything at five or, you know, even 10, even 12. The things that I was mad about then you know, are not exactly that important to yeah, me right I'd, now. I'd be a Lego professional. <laughs> but not like, it's that classic thing of like, girls' sexuality is something they should be terrified of and repress. Yeah. Boys get to get educated about theirs. Mm. Yeah, and so, it's... Could we send the NRL though? Like, just blanket, send the NRL. I'm so sure they... Is nice. I'm <laughs> sure we couldn't make them worse. I think that would actually be kind of cool. I could see the NRL going there and doing that. Except for the Knights. <laughs> but why do you think it's growing? Why is it getting as popular as it is? And it is getting bigger. It's going to the UK. It's coming to Australia now. The one thing, again, in listening to interviews that I thought was really stark was when you hear the parents talk about their rationale, the reasons why they want to do it, mm. and they refer to their own sexual awakenings. They refer to their experiences. And a lot of them talk about how at that stage, so maybe their, their uh, university years or young adulthood, at that stage, you know, I was really caught up. I didn't realise these things because I was having fun and I was in the world. And they, they've they obviously decided that... These are, these are quotes that I remember. Yeah. They've obviously decided that these are bad things and so they're going to protect their children by keeping it keeping them away from it. Now, I mean, I understand that there's a risk every time I get into a car, but that doesn't mean the solution to car deaths is that we all just stop driving. Mm. The idea that you can protect someone by shielding it completely leads to, as you've already pointed out, Jen, accidental pregnancies, people that don't even understand that that's how that can happen. Yeah, they have no idea. Mm. 
Yeah, a lot of the young women who were who did fall pregnant in interviews say they're like, I I had no idea that I was. I knew that it was wrong because I was told I was going to hell, but I didn't realise that that's how babies were made. It is denying people basic information under the guise of being protective. Yeah, mm. and, and it's it's shutting down the whole idea of feminism, equality of of gender. Under the yeah, again, under the guise of protection, the idea that you can grow up to be anything—whether you're a boy, you're a girl—you can wear a dress, you can wear pants, you can want to be an engineer, you can want to be a hairdresser, you can be anything. Mm. No, you've got these bits between your legs, so therefore you must do this to protect yourself, and you've got these bits between your legs, so you must do this to learn how to honour this person yeah. and make sure they know they're beautiful. It's so strange. And it's all under the guise of, oh, I love you and I want to protect you so much. And so if any of those girls ever slip up, it's just horrifying. Well, that's the thing. It then puts this amazing pressure on them Mm. that they are disappointing the man who is going to protect them. Yeah. It's just. Why is it growing in popularity? You know what? It sounds like parents wanting to get a do over. Yeah. (laughs) We effed up when we started exploring our sexuality. Let's make sure no one goes through that ever again. Somehow we got back to reboots and how they're so much darker. <laughs> Kids are your reboot, though, surely, yeah. I've been told. It, it, yeah. It, it really seems that way in, in this movement. And what, what you read about it is that the parents are just looking and saying, this is a chance to get it right. Mm. And, and I don't think they even have an end game, an outcome in mind. <clears throat> they're so far removed from what, they, what will happen to their children they don't know what sort of adults are going to grow into. They just figure it must be better than the adult that they are. Yeah, it- to, yeah. to put all of it, though, in, in sexuality, like to put it all in like everything will be fine, everything will totally be okay if you just don't go near anyone until you're married. Like as though mm-hmm. that's the worst thing that can happen in their life. It's like divorce is kind of high, you know, nowadays. It's like... Yeah, to- you're not going to be happy just because you yeah. popped on a virtual chastity belt at the age of five. Yeah. Yeah, and it seems to ignore the outside pressures of society. Like, they're somehow going to go away if we turn our back and close our eyes. Like That, <clears throat> that idea in the discussion around rape, that it's not that we should teach women to protect themselves, we should teach men not to rape, right. applies here. It's not that you should teach these girls or these boys to protect themselves from big, bad society. We need to be active participants in changing society to something that is safer, if, and then if we see it that way. They do talk about society as, like, the enemy. They, they'll, they'll say things during the pledging ceremony um, to protect their children from the enemy. The enemy. Love it. Us. We're the enemy, guys. I'm comfortable with that. (laughs) Look, you have been listening to The Vulture's Nest on 2SCR 107.3 with Jen, Andrew and myself, Nick. We will be back next week. Don't go anywhere because So Hot Right Now is up next.